Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Tuesday, September the 27th, 2022. It is currently 10.23 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And I'm sorry to inform you, but it is time once again for us to go to Indiana. And that's the last place I want to go. It's the last place anyone should go. No one should ever go to Indiana. If you're if you have to travel across the country and you see Indiana, just stop and take a detour. Go around the entire state. Fly over it, drive around it, tunnel under it. Don't go to Indiana because there's nothing good in Indiana. It is definitely a bad place to be. Okay, a little bit of joking, but a little bit of seriousness because if you've been with us now, For the previous nine parts of this series, you know we've been listening to sermons preached at a youth conference in Indiana, and that conference was held this summer, and all I can say is it has been absolutely insane. It has been crazy. The mishandling of the scripture, the emotional manipulation, it, I mean, it, 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 at times it's become not only just like brings up anger within me. It has just been insane to hear because in Indiana this summer, a youth conference was held. It's a conference that's been held, I guess, for like 50 years. According to those speaking at the conference, it's the most influential youth conference in the country. But all I have heard is scripture being manipulated, scripture not being used anywhere the way it should be, and young people being manipulated. And it is Horrible. And the reason we're listening to these sermons at this youth conference is number one, they claim it's the most influential one. So if it's the most influential one, how can I ignore it? And number two, it gives us some insight into what is being taught to young people in 2022. I mean, if you look at the state of the, if, just, just look at the state of the country. We'll talk about America. Just look at the state of the country as far as the, 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 the decline of Christian influence in America. Look at what is happening to the decline within the church. Look at the number of young people who are dropping out and not attending church. So you would, you would, I think it's very important to ask the question. So what should churches be teaching young people? What should churches be doing? Because churches have tried, I mean, you just think about all the gimmicks, all the methods, all the ideas that the church has thrown at youth ministry. Games, fun, food, entertainment, manipulation. You, you just name all the gimmicks thrown at youth ministry since, well, as long, I don't know how long you've been a Christian, but my entire Christian life. Clearly, none of them have proven to be successful. I don't care how much that people claim that they were successful. They weren't. They were, it was, it, uh, there were, there's so many issues with it. So what should be taught to young people? Well, as I'm still trying to get you to think about what should be taught to young people, well, it's good for us to listen to what is being taught to young people, and we're doing so by listening to all of these sermons that was preached at a youth conference in Indiana this summer, somewhere July, August. I don't have the exact dates in front of me, but it was this summer. And again, it has been like there's a part of me that want to stop I want to stop this series. I want to. I want to. I don't want to complete this series because I just feel like what what am I accomplishing here? But on the other hand, I'm documenting 
in, I mean, I think in a very in-depth way, exactly what is being taught to some young people in the church today. And I think it's important for it, that documentation to be there for people to go, man, in 2022, what was happening in the church? They were losing their minds, okay? So I, I, I think it's, it's advantageous. I think it's beneficial. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's not, maybe I'm just trying to convince myself that it is so that I will finish the series. I guess, I guess in this particular point, I've committed already, what, nine plus hours to this. This is hour number 10. I've got to see it to its completion or then that feels even like a bigger waste of time. So with that all said, let's go back to Indiana. Oh boy. Youth conference. And let's see what's going to happen. I don't know. Now, the audio for this is extremely loud. If I had this turned all the way up, it would blow your eardrums completely out. I've turned it way down. I may have to do a little back and forth, you know, uh, while we're live on the air trying to get the volume correct. So just be prepared for that. You may want to turn your volume down uh, until we get this adjusted, until you feel like it's 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 okay. And uh, But we're going to go back. I mean, they they just cranked the volume to like 100 in their recording, which I, I appreciate that in the sense that I don't have to worry about it being too quiet, but it's just uh, now trying to find how to regulate it because it is so loud. But with that all said, we're here to hear what they preached, okay? What, what did they talk about? What did they talk to the youth in this session of the conference? Here we go. Bibles open, notebooks open, thinking caps on, discernment turned all the way up to 300. Here we go. Let's stand open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. I know yesterday, let's all stand together. I know yesterday, Brother Lapina preached on Jonah. I spoke with him last night. I said, Preacher, I think we're going to use that as a base for the message tomorrow. And to go in any other direction, I know it would be disobedience to the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, we've got to stop right there because this is like preaching 101. You hear it all the time. All right, so he's going to go to Jonah chapter 4. And basically, not to preach from Jonah chapter 4 would basically be disobedience to the Holy Spirit of God, which already implies, it's almost like psychological manipulation. Hey, what I'm preaching, this is what God wants you to hear. This is a message from God. Pastors love to say this, and I don't know how they can't see the psychological manipulation in it. If I get ready to preach and go, this is what God gave me to preach to you. This is, I didn't know what to do, and I was trying to figure this out, and this is the answer God gave me that I'm telling you that my preaching and my sermon, you can't disagree with it because it came to me from God. And that's so, I don't know how people don't go, whoa, no, you can't say that. Now he, he's at least implying that this is what he's supposed to preach and that it came from God, not from his own thinking. Well, (laughs) if every, if every evangelical Protestant preacher claims that what they're preaching is from God, then we've got a major problem because most of the preaching contradicts the other preaching that we hear. So which preaching is actually from God? Yeah, we have major theological issues here. But all right, let's back that up so that you can hear it again. Here we go. Let's, let's, let's continue our, our review of these crazy youth conference messages preached at a youth conference in Indiana. Here we go. Let's stand open our Bibles to Jonah chapter 4. 
I know yesterday, let's all stand together. I know yesterday, Brother Lapina preached on Jonah. I spoke with him last night. I said, Preacher, I think we're going to use that as a base for the message tomorrow. And to go in any other direction, I know, would be disobedience to the Holy Spirit of God. Uh, so we will stay right here in the book of Jonah. Jonah chapter 4. Thank you, young people, for paying attention the decisions that you've made. I hope you'll take the next few minutes and stay focused. Jonah 4, verse 9, God said to Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. What a strange statement. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the Lord, for which thou hast not labored, neither madest it to grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. Should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons, that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you this morning for the decisions that have already been made today. And Father, there are some here that they know, they have some friendships that are just devastating their lives. God, I pray today, truly, that be an ending point for that friendship. Oh, wow. Even in their prayer. This, this is a theme that we talked about in, the, I think, the last, I believe it was the last message we reviewed. And we're, it's going to turn into a series for us because it was so utterly absurd. Uh, even people at church the other night were, were, was talking about how crazy the message we reviewed was because in the last youth conference message we reviewed, he, they made some strong statements that basically as a Christian, when it comes to friendship, it's not ride and die. No, 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 no. You ride with your friends until, well, they do, I guess, the wrong things or go the wrong direction. And then this is the words they use. Let them die. You break off your friendship. You don't stay loyal to that friendship. You let them die because you focus on yourself. You don't let it hurt yourself spiritually. And then here, even in this prayer, we're right back to the same theme that, hey, hey, some of these friendships need to end. Some of these friendships, because they're hurting you, they've got to end. They've got to end. So it's not, it's not about focusing on the other. It's not about dying to self, denying self, and loving your enemy. And no, 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 no. You, and of course, and you can say, well, that's not what they meant. Well, it's up to them to tell us what they meant because they never really clarified exactly so wait a minute, you just end the friendship? You just, you just, it, 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 it's really been crazy. They've never really articulated. They were using a passage. They, they tried to use scripture that had nothing to do with what they were claiming. And then here in the prayer, it's the same re- recurring theme. Now, now we, we, we kind of in the conference, the theme that's starting to emerge, at least, at least the most, in the most recent messages seems to be, hey, be friends with people. But there's a point that you just, you, that's it. You got to cut them off. You just get rid of them because, you know, it's, it's about you. It's about you. It's not about them. They can just die. I mean, again, they're, they're exact words. Let them die, which is just like, <laughs> is that the biblical model of friendship? Is that the biblical concept? So it, it, and so we will explore that in greater detail, but I'm still just kind of reeling from the last episode of, of reviewing sermons from this conference. But it's just interesting that now even in prayer, they're mentioning the same concept, which then you have to ask yourself, and this just goes back to my whole major issue with praying before a sermon and after a sermon. So many times when preachers pray before a sermon, they're not really speaking to God. They're already trying to preach their sermon. And then when they preach, when they pray after their sermon, they're almost re-preaching the sermon. 
When you pray, you're supposed to be talking to God. You're not supposed to be preaching to the people. So here he's he's like, I'm praying to God, but I'm really t- I'm reminding these teenagers one more time that there's some relationships they need to end. Well, that's not prayer. Like, I, I just sometimes I just don't know when preachers pray, are they really from the pulpit? Are they really praying and talking to God or are they still talking to the congregation? When we pretend that we're talking to God when we're really still preaching, that's disrespectful to God and it's disrespectful to the whole concept of prayer. I've said it before, the preacher can pray before his sermon, way before he gets to church, way before church starts. So why are we praying right before we preach? Why are we praying right after we preach? I I don't understand that. All the praying should happen way before you get to church. So I don't know. I know people like, that's just a weird theory. It's not a weird theory. Prayer is talking to God. It's not talking to God for the sake of the people, right? It's It's not for them to hear me. They don't need to hear my prayers for my sermons. They, they, they don't need to hear that, okay? The only one who's supposed to hear that is God. And then my job with behind the pulpit is preach the sermon. But you, I know there's these, like, these are the rules. This is the way we've always done it. And I'm, I, you know me, I, I, I'm going to question why we do that when clearly sometimes I don't think we're actually talking to God. But okay, to me, it sounds like he's still talking to the young people here. But okay. It'd be a new step in the right direction. The decision that they just made would be lasting, permanent. God, you to help us once again. We want to hear from your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Young people, we talk about Jonah. What a negative connotation. How many of you would like to be a Jonah? No one here. Isn't it amazing that the prodigal son even has a few positive messages preached about his life? Even Samson. David, men with great mistakes. Now let me ask you this. Why would the greatest revivalist of any generation, we talk about men of the past, missionaries, Billy Sunday, Lee Robertson, Jack Howes, we talk about these men, uh, but no one had revival in a city with hundreds of thousands of people repenting and the king making even the cows, the dogs, the hogs, and the frogs fast and proud to God. This was an incredible revival, and yet we have nothing pleasant or good to say about Jonah. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to chapter 1, because preacher yesterday talked about chapter 1, the sleeper arise, O sleeper, and we want to kind of dissect the life of Jonah for just a moment and find out why Jonah was a Jonah so that you can avoid being a Jonah. Look what it says, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Let's talk about Jonah for a minute and his divine calling. Young people, superficially, here was a man that was saved and sold out and separated and solid and called to God with a privileged calling. In a time when the rest of the world knew very little about God or the Word of God, the Word of God had not just come to the nation of Israel, but it had come to Jonah's house, his doorstep. Young people, we're talking about a privilege calling. I don't want to stay here long, but I I really doubt, preacher, that the people here have, have matured enough to understand the privilege that they've had, that not just the gospel has come to your door or your neighborhood, it, it has come to your heart. You've heard the gospel over and over and over again. You were raised in a godly home. You have a great church. You have a completed Bible in your language. You're sitting in a great conference. You have a youth pastor that loves you. And people that have helped you finance this trip to be here, 
You're privileged. I hope you understand how privileged you are. It was a personal calling. Okay, now, when, whenever we review, remember, I review in real time, so I don't listen to in advance. And I know that with this youth conference, there has been lots to be negative about. But that is a very powerful point. That is a very convicting point. I, I don't know. We have people who listen to us from around the world, but I'll just focus here on the United, for, for the Christians in the United States of America. If you are a Christian in the United States of America, I know we spend so much of our time within Christianity complaining about our religious freedoms are being taken away or our rights are being taken away. We do a lot of whining and complaining about supposedly, you know, we're being persecuted because they they only say happy holidays and they don't say Merry Christmas and they refer to them as holiday trees instead of Christmas trees. I know we do a lot of that, but I wonder how much um, we actually take advantage of all of the privileges we have. it's easy to complain about maybe what we perceive as something happening negatively towards us, but I wonder how much advantage we actually take of the privileges we have. It's like we want to, we want to argue and scream about these other things, but what about what we do have in front of us? I mean, you look at the American church, statistic after statistic shows Christians are theologically illiterate, biblically illiterate. They don't know church history. It's a complete, utter train wreck out there. It's a mess, doctrinally everything speaking. But at the same time, they have all of these privileges. They could be listening to sermons Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. They could be listening to sermons from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed, and they could listen to sermons as, as they're sleeping. They have Bibles. They have Bible apps. They have Bible study tools, reference tools, dictionaries, all the writings of the church fathers. They have, they have literally everything at their fingertips, and yet we don't use it. Yet we don't take advantage of it. I've talked about this during the COVID situation. What blew my mind about the, the, the attitudes of many Christians during the COVID situation is, and not in every situation, but most of them, the rules came down and it would be something like this. Okay, guys, you can have church, but here's what we need you to do. You reduce the capacity to 25% or 50% or 15% of your sanctuary's full capacity. So you can only have 15% capacity, 25%, 50%. You have to social distance, they have to wear a mask, but you can have church. Now, instead of churches going, okay, okay, guys, we'll just increase the number of services. We'll have 10 services. We'll have 15 services. We'll have 20 services. We'll have services in the morning and the afternoon night. I mean, everyone is locked down. We'll just, we'll just have service after service after service after service after service after service. No, 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 no. Christians wanted to complain and fight and argue. Instead of taking, instead of looking at the privilege that we did have, well, hey, the whole country is in lockdown. Hey, pastors, grab that microphone, turn it on, go live from your pulpit on Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, Thursday morning, Friday. Go back to that pulpit Monday afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. Do, do everything you can. But in taking, uh, instead of taking advantage of all the privileges we had and all the opportunities we had, we focused more on what we was supposedly being taken from us. Well, while Christians were yelling and screaming about all the problems, many Christians, many Christians were not sitting at home going, okay, well, now that I'm working from home, I'm going to listen to sermons all day as I'm working. No, it was, it was fighting and arguing. So many times we, we don't show gratitude for the privilege we have, and we don't show the gratitude by taking advantage of it. It's, it's just amazing. Christians who get so upset because of the COVID situation, so furious about the COVID situation, well, look, do you know how many Christians were not attending Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday before the pandemic? 
They get all upset about the pandemic, but they weren't even coming to church when it would for all they, they were they were so mad that a service would be shut down. But before the pandemic, they weren't there for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday. They were skipping Wednesday or skipping Sunday night. So, but then they wanted to complain about an, a service being taken away. Here's the thing: take advantage of what you have. And now that the, that churches are back, and you know back in person, many people still not coming back, still not taking advantage of the privilege. So I, I think we are, we, we, we show an ingratitude for the privileges we do have. I'm not saying that there aren't issues to discuss and issues that maybe need to talk about, but take advantage of what you do have and be grateful for that privilege. So that, that there's a good point there that, that many of those young people sitting there have had great privileges, Right. Many of them, they have a Bible, they have church, they have a youth group, they, so many privileges, and they will not take advantage of them. We're all, we're, we're, we're all guilty of doing that in every aspect of our life. It came to Jonah and young people. Here's what I need you to understand this morning. We're talking about go boldly. You have a personal calling on your life. There's no one here that is the exception. Every single one here. I want you to raise your hand for just a minute. Everyone in here, let's raise your hand quickly. Raise your hand. Did you know that everyone in here raising their hand, you have the calling of God in your life? You can put your hands down. You have the calling of God to preach. I'm not talking about pastoring or standing behind a pulpit. I'm talking about preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a Nineveh. Let's do this. Some of you have already fallen asleep. Let's have everyone stand. Everyone stand. And you're going to shout out with me these words. I have a Nineveh. Ready? One, two, three. I have a Nineveh. Now, let's say that a little bit more heartfelt. I have a Nineveh. Turn to someone next to you. Point your finger and say, you have a Nineveh. Look him in the face. Look him in the eyeball. Get really sincere. You have a Nineveh. Now hold on for a second. One more, one more statement. Everybody's attention here. One more statement. I want you to tell them this or ask them this. Who have you won in your Nineveh? Ask him. Look at him and ask him, who have you won in your Nineveh? Now, hold on for a second, young people. Now that you've been asked the question, I want everyone here to actually respond. Respond. Who have you won? Tell them. Can you tell anyone? Can you? Can you? Oh, man. Youth conferences, man. Put these kids on the spot. So you're going to have kids who are now going to be embarrassed because obviously they, there's going to, I mean, unless they're going to be honest, I mean, they could lie and say, well, I handed out tracks and a hundred people got saved. I've seen that story play out way too many times in my Christian life. Hey, hey, we, we hunted, we handed out, uh, you know, we went uh, Saturday soul winning. We handed out tracks and a hundred people got saved. And I'd be like, a hundred people got saved. What, when, where? Just because you handed someone a track does not mean they got saved. Okay, just because they the person was nice to you doesn't mean they got saved. But but okay. So but now just imagine the situation. Here's a young person, and they're supposed to say, "No one, no one. I haven't won anyone. I haven't won anyone. 
Oh, and that's your fault because you haven't won anyone. Now, I, I, I still try to understand how this plays out theologically, right? Because if you're supposed to win someone to Christ, but that person you're trying to win has free will, like, let's go with a complete semi-Pelagian, Arminian free will mentality, well, you have no control. All you can do is present the gospel because you don't want to violate that person's free will. You don't want God to violate that person's free will. That person has autonomous, libertarian free will. If you believe in that view of of, of man and, and in soteriology, well, then how can you like, well, you, how many people have you won? Well, I can't win anyone. All I can do is present the gospel to someone. Because they have to make the choice. It's up to their will. I can't manipulate them. I can't force them because I have to respect their free will. If God respects everyone's free will the way it's preached, then I have to respect other people's free will, right? Right. So then how can you feel shame for that? Right. But, but, but this sets you up. Now, if you believe in a Calvinistic reformed view like I do, well, clearly I can't get upset if I don't win anyone because God is the one who does salvation. So whether you believe in complete freedom of the will or you believe in the captivity of the will to sinful nature and God has to save the person, you can't get discouraged if you haven't won anyone because it's not up to you to win them. It's up to you to preach to them. It's up to you to present the gospel to them. So why would you put a kid on the spot for them to go, I haven't won anyone? Why? 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 That, that, that's not on them. Can you give a number? Can you give a person? Can you give a name? Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you. You can be seated. Everyone, if I can get your attention back up here. Now, let me ask you this. If you couldn't name a person, if you couldn't name anyone, you're a Jonah. You're running just like Jonah. God has given you a Nineveh. Wherever you're at, the school, the neighborhood, the family that you're in, the relatives, the places where you shop, that right now is your Nineveh. Your Nineveh will get larger in life, and especially as you surrender to do God's will. But for right now, wherever you're living, the people that you're around, that is your Nineveh. That is your personal calling. And most young people are running like Jonah from that calling. Now, let me, let me say this, young people. When we talk about running for their calling, it, what happens, verse 2, the word of the Lord comes, and what's it say? It says, arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and do what? Cry against. That's a disturbing command. Cry against their wickedness. Brother Brown, you like to do that. There's a lot of wickedness. I hate wickedness. I want to stand against wickedness, but I don't just enjoy crying against it. People usually don't respond well to that. And young people, you have to understand something about Nineveh. We're talking about the most barbaric nation on the earth at that moment. There's all kinds of stories. I won't give you the stories. When they would conquer a foe, they'd often build pyramids with the heads of the people that they killed so that those passed by would understand. This is what we do to our enemies. There were times they'd take a huge stake and impel a person, starting to get his pelvis, run it through his body, have it come out his neck, chest, or head. In excruciating pain, that person would die. They're barbaric. Now, let me ask you this. There's a good reason Jonah was running. He didn't think the response was going to be good. He said, these people would probably do me harm if I went there and preached the gospel to them. You know why the majority of young people are silent, not doing God's will, not reaching the lost? There is a fear that's been spoken about this week, an apprehension in being a bold witness. And young people, we're in the United States of America. 
Uh, preacher, the worst thing I have suffered in 30 years of preaching the gospel, uh, I, I speak to, to a lot of Hispanic people. I've often been fed tamales and hot sauce and Mexican food at midnight, and I had heartburn at 3 o'clock in the morning. That's the worst thing I've ever suffered for the cause of Christ. I'm going to hate meeting Paul in heaven, and he asked me, so uh, what did you suffer for Jesus? Tamales and hot sauce and heartburn. Young people, most of us not suffered on any level, but the, the command was disturbing. Here's what happens. We come to the house of God. We love conferences. We enjoy this type of thing. We get all excited, but at some point, you've got to leave these four walls, and you are commanded, you individually are commanded to arise and go and cry against their wickedness, and not very many people are doing that. Too often, we're living just like a Jonah. In now, once again, it's the common thing that, that I talk about a lot in preaching. Before this is over, you know, this really is not about Nineveh. This is not about Jonah. This is all about you. So the historical narrative just gets hijacked, and then you get placed in the narrative, and then the whole thing becomes about you. And, uh, and it becomes, you do this, you do this, you do this. Law, 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 law. You're not doing this. Do this more. You do, 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 do that. That's, that's just beat you over with 900 responsibilities so that you can feel 9,000 pounds of weight of guilt and shame because you're never going to do it enough. And so, yeah, but I don't know. We could have a long discussion about it, but let's continue. It, it sometimes is hard to have compassion. When you look at the world, this wicked, this vile, this evil, can't even figure out what gender they are. Tattoos on their juggler vein. Facial piercings out of their eyelids. And here's what we normally do, exactly what Jonah did, verse 3. But Jonah rose up to what? What what is the tattoo? They have, a, they have piercings and tattoos. Wicked, wicked. I like, what? Oh man. Okay. All right. It's just so weird. Like of, of, of actual wickedness, you're going to label and you're going, you're going to attack supposed gender confusion and tattoos and piercings of all the wickedness you could talk about. That's what you're going to talk about. This is a wicked generation. And that, that's, those are, that's your big three. Okay. All right. To flee, there's a delayed compliance here. He's going to run. I like what Preacher said yesterday. What are you running to or what are you running from that you should be running to? He is running from the what? The end of verse says the presence of God. Now here's what amazes me. What Jonah's going to do to keep from having to be a witness? He says, I would rather suffer a storm. I would rather go to the bottom of the ocean. I would rather drown. I would rather be swallowed by a well. I would rather suffer hell. I'd rather suffer anything than be a witness. And you get young people do anything. But to be a consistent witness, they'd rather go to the bottom of the sea, swallowed by a well, and drown to death normally. He's going to run... We're talking about, he was commanded to go to Nineveh, 500 miles away. He's going to run towards Joppa. Now, Nineveh is five, 500 miles. It's a long trip, but Joppa is 2,500 miles away. It amazes me how far kids want to run from God to avoid doing his will. Now, once again, people, we talk about running from his will. We're not talking about doing drugs. We're not talking prostitution. We're talking just being a closet Christian, just being quiet. Not being, you know what Satan's will is for your life? Just be quiet. Don't reach anyone. Don't win anyone. Don't tell anyone. 
He is running from the presence of God. But you know how many people, our teenagers, are running from the presence of God? You know what the presence of God, young people, is? Some of you are running from the presence of God in the auditorium. You'll even come to the altar and run from the presence. You're not going to deal with the sin God wants you to deal with. You're not going to deal with the pornography. If you see a subtle manipulation, you're running from God because you won't even come to the altar because in many of these churches, the, the, your, the key to, to how do you measure the success of your sermon is the number of people who come to the altar. So he now just planted the idea that if you don't come to the altar, you're really running from the presence of God. You don't have to go to the altar to deal with your sin. You can sit right there in your pew and you can go home. And you can do it. You don't have to go to the altar at an altar call to deal with your sin. That's just a not, that is just not true. That is just false. And that's not, now I'm not saying there's anything wrong with doing that, but it doesn't mean you have to. It doesn't mean that they're not, that just, that someone's running from the presence of God because they won't go to the altar to deal with their sin. That's, that's not, no. You're not going to deal with the wrong relationship. You're not going to deal with your rebellion. You're not going to deal with the things that your eyes are constantly focused on, your mind is meditating on, but you'll walk in altar and give an appearance, and we are fleeing from the presence of God. Now, here's what happens, young people. If, if God is seen in your life, then you're going to have to talk to someone about God. Here's why young people want to look like the world and act like the world. Here's why young people, when they go to the mall, they're going to hike their dress up, make sure they're wearing their tightest skirt flip their hair around, and it look at least semi like the world so they can blend in and run from the presence of God. Or maybe, just, 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 a, just a theory, that it has nothing to do with them trying to run from God. It has something to do with, it appears, a very normal, normal, normal emotion for most teenagers to want to fit in to want to be like the world around them. Not to stand out as some odd religious nut, but to want to fit in. Now, I'm not saying whether that's right or whether that's wrong. I just don't think that that's always an indication that they're trying to run from God. I think it deals with a real emotion. Because anyone who was ever, any, everyone has been in those situations where you don't want to stand out. Now, some of us, are kind of the nonconformists who don't want to fit in. Okay, I never had an issue with that. I don't, I'm going to go against the crowd. Okay, no big deal. But I do understand that for most people, they do. Now, we could talk about why they feel that way and that emotion and the struggle with it, but I don't think you can immediately say the reason you're doing that is because you're running from God. Or maybe it's just they're dealing with being, I don't know, a teenager. And you already feel awkward. You already feel a little out of place. And you already feel like you don't know where you fit in or how you fit in. And the last thing you want to do is draw even more attention to yourself. That could turn out to be negative. I mean, I don't know. How about you try to at least understand the teenager and just instead of making an accusation, the reason you go to the, you go to the mall, I don't know. Is this 2020? What, what teenager, teenagers are going to the mall? I mean, like... If you're going to use illustration, hey, you teenagers, you go to the mall, you hike up your skirt, you flip your hair around. Yeah, I, maybe in Indiana, the teenagers still hang out in the mall, but I don't think that's a major place of hanging out in, in 2022. Maybe I'm wrong. Young people can correct me. I think the mall was something of the past. It's not the new hangout in 2022, but okay, okay. You can't run from the presence of God. 
Now, here's what's amazing. He ran for a little while so well from the presence of God. Look at when they got in the middle of the storm. Look at the questions they're going to ask him in verse 8. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, whose cause this evil has come upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? And what is thy country? What people art thou? He had hid his God and Christianity so well that they didn't even know he was a preacher. Wait. He hid his Christianity so well, they didn't even know that he was a preacher. Well, when was he a preacher too? He just got on a boat. <sighs> the, the abuse of historical narratives. See, he's got an idea. He wants, he wants to go after the young people for their lack of being a, a witness. He wants to go after the young people for not engaging in personal evangelism enough. So now he's going to use every detail of Jonah to basically retell the story, place the young people in there and go, look, so, so when, 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 so when you, the people who know you, do they not know your occupation? Do they not know where you come from? Do they not know your country? Do they, they, do they not know the people you're from? And then try to apply it. It's just, oh what preachers do to historical narratives sometimes is mind-blowing. I understand you want to apply it. I understand that. But you just got to make sure you at least understand what, exactly what, like, is it, is it because he hid his Christianity, quote-unquote? Is it because he hid that he's a preacher? He just got on a boat to go somewhere. Was there a lot of conversation happening? Anyway? I mean, you're making a lot of assumptions, but okay. They didn't even know he was a Jew. They didn't even know he was a Christian. Let me ask you this, young people. How many people around you don't even know you're a Christian? How many people in your neighborhood, how many people where you shop, how many people in your school, how many of you uh, have friends that are close by? I remember years ago I worked in a hotel when I first went to Bible college. We were there in the night shift, four or five people, the lady behind the desk. Uh, I would often pass by, never really had any extended conversation with her. After I worked there for about three months, she didn't show up. I asked about her. They said she had a brain aneurysm. She was 28 years of age. She'll be okay. She didn't come back to work. Ten days later, she was dead. And the Holy Spirit of God smote my heart, and he said, you're studying to be a preacher, and you never gave Rachel a track. You never spoke one time to her about the God. That woman didn't even know you were a Christian. You know what I did, young people, at that moment? I said, the rest of my life, I never want to have another single soul in my proximity that doesn't know that I'm a child of God. Otherwise, I am facilitating a life as a Jonah. And young people, a witness has never been easier. Let me ask you this. How many think Jonah had a Bible? He's told to go preach. He didn't even have a Bible, a completed Bible. He didn't have a tracks. He doesn't have a church to invite them to. He doesn't have a radio ministry. He doesn't have a TV. He doesn't have Team Nineveh. I mean, we talk about being a witness. You can, you can go back. He couldn't just leave a track on the door. He didn't have a track. He couldn't preach it by way of radio. They didn't have radio. Young people, we have everything in our favor to be a witness, and yet we're finding ways to be a Jonah. I remember when I was your age, and God began to work in my heart. I heard Jack House preach the four calls of soul, and God really worked in my heart. And I was determined to be a witness, but my problem was I was very timid. But I read the book of Acts, Acts 4, where it talks about boldness, and they prayed for the Spirit's filling, and boldness, and God did them that favor. And I began to pray, oh, God, please make me bold. Uh, at 12, 13 years old, I, I didn't want to talk to anybody, let alone a total stranger about the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I begin to surround myself with bold people in the church. I still do that. Last year when we went to Malawi with, with Dr. Williams, 16-hour flight, I woke up about four hours in the flight, and Dr. Williams was person by person waking them up and telling them the gospel. He got to all. Yeah, that's, that's always wonderful. Get woken up when you're on a flight and someone trying to tell you about Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's probably a, a great way to evangelize. Yeah, people are on a flight. They don't want to be bothered, and you wake them up to tell them about Jesus. So, okay. I, 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 and again, and then you, so you decide that now whatever job you have, you're going to make sure everyone there, you're going to hand them a track. You're at work. You, work is not the place you do evangelism by bothering people. Work is where you demonstrate evangelism by how you live and how you treat people and how you act. Now, if you have an opportunity to have a conversation and it's perfectly acceptable, okay, just remember your employer is not paying you to evangelize all the fellow employees. That's not what you're being paid to do. You have a job to do. Now, so there's always those balance in how to work these things out because I've seen some Christians handle these situations in really ugly, like almost like I, I, yeah, it's just, we could get into a long discussion here, but I, I you know, I, I wouldn't recommend going uh, on an airplane and I guess waking people up while they're sleeping on an airplane to say, I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I, I just, I don't think that's probably a good idea, but okay, you, you may, you may disagree in your evangelistic methods, but I would just say that's probably not a good idea. Row. I was next to the wall. My brother was next to me, and there was a stranger next to him. We all, as soon as we sat down, it was the middle of the night. We went to sleep. I said, I have 16 hours. I'll talk to this man at some point uh, about the Lord Jesus Christ, but I hadn't spoken to him yet. And Dr. Williams walked over, and he woke him up, and he said, sir, sir, I want to tell you about Jesus. He said, do you know the two guys sitting next to you are preachers? He said, no, I didn't know that. He said, have they spoken to you about the gospel yet? He said, absolutely not. And then he looked over at me. He said, Brother Thompson, what's your problem? You've been on this flight for four hours. Now I smiled. I love that, preacher. I love that. That doesn't intimidate me. That, that helps me become a better person and say, why did I wait four hours? Yeah. My plan was I have 16 hours to witness to him, but I had wasted four hours in taking advantage, and it took a, an 88-year-old preacher from a different section of the plane saying, I refuse to spend 10 minutes as a Jonah. Now, here's my question, young people. How many chapters are going to be written about your life before you surrender, submit to the will of God, and actually become a bold witness? What chapter are you on? The Word of God, look what it says in chapter 3, the Word of the Lord came into Jonah, a second time. Now, the word of the Lord hasn't come to you a second time. You've been born and raised in church. It's come a third time, a tenth time, a twenty-eighth time, a thirty-eighth time. And God is still insisting. You ought to cry out, young people. You ought to cry out, oh, God, use me. Use me, oh, God. Use me, please. Everyone else is praying for you. I don't understand this. Your parents are probably praying for you. Your youth pastor is praying for you. Your pastor is praying for you. Men of God that don't even know you personally are praying for you. You ought to pray for yourself. You ought to get on your face and say, if everybody else is praying for me, I'm going to pray for me and ask God to do something in my heart and use me. I don't want to be a Jonah. Now look what it says in chapter 3. So we know the story. He swallowed by a well. He spit out. And now the word of God comes into verse 2. And says, go to Nineveh, that great city, preach under the preaching that I 
bid thee, and what's he do? Verse 4, he says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Young people, we see the urgency. Now, here's what happens when it comes to boldness. I, it, it scares me how few people understand the urgency when it comes to the I also have to stop because again, he's just you, he's just randomly grabbing these verses and making this about him. But I would, and about us, I would make a, a, a very interesting argument here, okay? Because he tells these stories of like how you know he he didn't tell that woman about Christ and and she died. Well, in this particular case, if you're using Jonah, the people God wanted to hear the message heard the message. With or without Jonah wanting to share the message, right? So like in a roundabout way, if you just logically think of it, well, doesn't the book of Jonah seem to indicate that the people God wants to hear the message will hear the message, whether you want to give it or don't want to give it? I mean, I mean, how do you, how do you, I mean, you're using Jonah. I mean, like, it's just, it's just, we, we knit, we, we just cherry pick what we want from the book and we ignore, well, no, this seems to indicate that, hey, if God wants, if God wanted that woman to hear the message, she would have heard the message because you're using Jonah as your baseline. Well, hey, God wanted the people of Nineveh to hear the message. He wanted Jonah to share the message. And no matter what Jonah wanted, no matter Jonah's will, God overrode his will to get Jonah to well Nineveh so that the message would be delivered. So in that case, what God, so, all right, I don't know. I'm just going to raise questions here, but let's continue. Gospel. I don't believe that we're going to make it through your lifetime without seeing the rapture the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Young people, you don't know how long you have to live. If we don't get a little bit of urgency and say, I, I may have a year, I may have a month, I may have 10 years, but whatever the case, I'm going to use every single day of my life on fire, urgent, as if this were my last day. And he's walking around with an urgency saying, 40 days, oh God, help us to get urgent. If you could see, young people, the simplicity, you might be a better witness. Here's what God told him. Jonah, you have such a bad attitude, I don't even trust you. I don't want you to form your own, and I don't want you to preach your own message. I want you to preach these words, the words I command. You know what Jonah's message was? 40 days, and this city's going to be overthrown. Can you imagine Jonah walking around the city bad attitude? 40 days, y'all going to burn. 40 days, it's over. But there was never a good spirit in this man at all. But he simply preached a message. Young people, I don't know, I, I don't know how many have said, I don't know how to witness a soul. You need to learn how to witness a soul. But whatever the case, you know, I won my first soul. I grew up in Rifle, Colorado, a town of 1,500 at the time. We lived two blocks from the main street, the main square, and... Uh, I, I'm, I'm just, are you, are you a fan? I, I'm just, I'm just, just a question. Are you a fan of that term? The first soul, I won. The first soul, I won. I won. How many people did you win? I won this many. I won seven people. I won 15 people. It seems very like it's about me. I won them. I did it. I did it. Do we win anyone or do we simply present the gospel to them? Do Are we the ones who win? Now, I know we can talk about the one who wins souls is wise. I understand that that phrase, but I wonder, like, philologically, it, it, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a fan of the phrase. I, I would have to really look into how the phrase is used, but I just, it just sounds so egotistic. The first soul, I won. I won. Like, like God is removed completely from the equation. God gives the message. 
then God just sits back. Now you've got the person over there with a with complete freedom of will. So God can't do anything to override that will or do it. So I don't know why even we pray for the lost because according to the free will concept, which this sermon clearly is coming from that perspective, from a, a semi-Pelagian Arminian perspective. Okay, well then why even pray for them? Because because God has got to respect that free will. So how? Uh, like, so did you win them because you outthought them? You manipulated them? Like, I, I don't understand how you're supposed to win them. And then, of course, from a Calvinistic perspective, I don't win them. I got, But in both cases, God, I mean, in, in the Calvinistic situation, God is obviously involved. But in the free will, God is not even involved. So then you take the credit for winning them? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of that phrase. Maybe you're a fan of the phrase. I'm not. It, but let's let's see what he how he continues this idea of how he won how he won his first soul i our church didn't really soul win we hadn't been taught so when i had tracks in my pocket i'd go downtown as a 12 year old i'd hand out a track and i'd ask every person i handed a track to i'd say have you been saying would you like to get say you like to get born again and i'd hear no 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 would you like to get born again? No, no. I passed out tracks for weeks. I don't know how long. And one day I passed out track to Cowboy. I said, would you like to get saved? He said, yes, I would. I didn't know what to do, preacher. I had no clue. No one had told me what to do when someone said yes. There was a park bench there. I sat him down on the park bench. I read through the track. I said, you need to get born again. You need to cry out to God for mercy. You're a sinner. You're condemned to hell. And there was a prayer on the backside of that track. And I said, would you like to pray this, pray this prayer? Ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart. He said, I certainly would. And he did. Amen. And when I went home that night, my sister said, yeah, yeah, whatever. He came to church the next day. Amen. Young people, I can't tell you the excitement that was in my heart. I was a clueless 12-year-old saying, I won't be a Jonah. Amen. I refuse to run. Now, when Jonah finally obeyed, what happens? What happens in chapter 3? The whole city. I can't admit this is a preacher's dream. The whole city. Hundreds of thousands of people. I'm talking about soccer stars and the young and the, 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 the little children and the old women and the owners of the bars and the prostitutes. Everyone. They're crying out to God, repenting of their sin. And Jonah, let me just say this, kids. The, the problem when it comes to the Great Commission has never been the hardness of the heathen. Never. It's always been the hardness of the Christian. Now look at, look at Jonah's response. And we're right here to the, the message just a few minutes. So the problem of the Great Commission is not the hardness of the heathen, but the hardness of the Christian. So the reason people go to hell is because Christians are hard not because heathens are depraved, I guess. I don't, because then they would, if we would have not hard hearts as Christians, then all the heathen would get saved. Meaning that, again, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know exactly. Try, trying to follow the theological consistency with some of these discussions is very, very difficult. But clearly, he doesn't care about theological consistency, logical consistency. All he wants to do is get these young people to go be a witness. Go be a witness. That, that's all he is concerned with. But we, I think we have to care about logical, theological consistency. But let, let's see where this goes. But here's the response. It, verse 1, chapter 4, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What's it? The revival, the response of the people. I can't, I can't wrap my mind around this. Jonah is angry. He's, he's, he's like a two-year-old throwing a fit. He's shaking his fist at God. He's mad. 
I, I didn't expect this. He is one hard cookie. Young people, he, he had gone through a storm, swallowed by a well. Uh, chapter 2 says he tasted hell. I, I, I don't know what that means. I'll let you guys discuss those uh, things. But here's what happens. We've all been given a taste of hell. Luke 16, we know the fires. We know the torment. We know what people are going to suffer. And I don't know how many times I've heard people say, well, if, if a Christian could only taste hell, they'd be a bolder witness. But I don't believe that's the case. Hard-hearted Christian just is hard-hearted. Nothing is going to move him. Now, let me ask you, young people, I would say the majority of Christians, you say, Pastor, be a positive voice. All these preachers here are a positive voice. I'm going to be the lone negative voice. I believe the majority of young people find themselves, in this case, unmoved, where Monday they'll go home and once again become a closet Christian. I'm in the business of trying to anchor people if it means we can get you to see a lost world out there in the need of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is angry at what God... You know, it would be a more interesting sermon if we probably tried to figure out why Jonah is upset. Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Why? Why? Why did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? I mean, if your if your whole issue is the problem with the Great Commission is not the hardness of the heathen, but the hardness of the Christian, and if Jonah is your text, well, then what made Jonah so hard, per se, so opposed to going and preaching to Nineveh? What was the reason? If we can clearly articulate that reason through either historical or other cross-references, and we can articulate that, would that not be a much more interesting sermon? So why why was Jonah so opposed to going to Nineveh? Why was he so upset about their repentance? That's the real, that's the question the sermon should seek to answer. Is he going to answer it? Well, he says he doesn't know. He says he has no clue. Does no no one have an idea why Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh? I mean, I think that's that's what we should focus on. We're going to finish this review. Maybe we're going to have to do an extra. Look, well, all of these youth conference messages are going to create 900 series for me. But clearly, we need to figure out what the Bible actually says about friendship, because clearly they've destroyed the concept. And we really probably need to figure out, since they've preached two messages from Jonah, why exactly did Jonah not want to go to Nineveh? Because in two sermons dealing with Jonah, they're yet to even try to even attempt to answer the question. God is doing. Look what it says in verse 6. So Jonah went out of the city. He sat on the east side. And there he made himself a booth. He sat under it in the shadow to him. I see what become of the city. He just sat and said, I'm going to sit and watch the world go to hell, be destroyed. And that's the average Christian sitting. And said, I'm just going to watch the world go. I'm going to watch from my business. I'm going to watch from my house. I'm going to watch from my church door. I'm going to watch the world go to hell. Now, hold on for a second. This angry man's going to get happy for just a minute. Look what it says. The Lord God prepared a gourd and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was what? What's it say? Everybody say it together. What's it say? So he was exceeding mad that people got saved, and he's exceeding glad for, uh, you know what we have in our church? You know what we have here today? You get emotional over a gourd. Your team just won 10,000. You'll stand and scream and act like an idiot. But you won't pass out of traffic because it makes you look like an idiot. A gourd, we're talking about Nike shoes, and they're all ugly. 
Are these Currys or Jordans? They're gourds. You have Crocs with gibbets. And preacher says, that's a gourd. Right. I, I mean, we get kids, they're all passionate because I think Popeye's chicken sandwich, no way, it's Chick-fil-A. No way, it's Raising Cane's. <laughs> and they will get fanatical over a chicken. That's a gourd. Yeah, right. The only thing that makes teens emotional in these days are whatever gourd floats their boat. Yeah. Call of duty. Right. Sports. They can tell you every stat about that quarterback. Shooting percentage, amount of points, rebounds by LeBron James. Can't quote a single Bible verse out of Romans to win some of the Christ. Excited about, that's Jonah. This is God's man. This is young people. Young people, let me help you out. We have more Jonahs in us and more Jonahs in here than we could possibly imagine. Running from the Great Commission. In, why do we have 8 billion people that are unreached? It's not like a Christians. It's the multitude of Jonahs in the Christian. Now, here's what God wants to do. God wants to bring us to a point where we have his heart. Now, look what it says, young people. Go with me to chapter 4, verse 9, and we're almost done. God said our text, do us sound well to be angry. Young people, I would dare say you've showed some emotions over the past few weeks. Very doubtful it was over the souls of men. If you cry to rejoice, most likely it was over a gourd. Now here's what happens. How many of you have ever read this short little book and thought, what a weird way to end? So God asked him a question. Why did you get angry at the gourd? You had pity on the gourd, which thou hast not labored, and should not I, verse 11, spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand. He said there are 6,000 people here that are either babies, have dementia, Alzheimer's, they're mentally slow, or they're teenagers. They don't know the difference between their right hand and their left hand. If there's 60,000 of those, there's hundreds of thousands of people in this city. And God said, Jonah, I want to ask you a question. You got all happy for a gourd, and then you got all mad. You never got happy for a soul or mad that they were going to be thrown into hell. You got a problem. Now, young people, I said all that is introduction to say my message. This is my message. Can I get your attention? Young people, you can make a lot of decisions during this week, and a lot of times not much will change. You know the root problem? It's called the heart of God. Do you have it? How long have you been in church, and when will you get it? Because you can have rules, you can have a great youth leader, you can have songs, you can have youth conferences, but until you get the heart of God, you have nothing. So here's my question. God ends his story with this question. 
what are you crying over and what are you laughing over and why don't you learn to cry over what I cry over and laugh over what I laugh over. And then he ends the chapter. And we have no idea about chapter 5 because it wasn't written in Scripture. Now, young people, you just sat in a conference and you've been encouraged and the theme was go boldly. But you know what you're going to do tomorrow when you leave this property? You're writing chapter 5. Don't tell me about chapter 2. So you messed up and you got hurt and someone hurt you and you've been angry. And, and you did this wrong and you had the wrong relationship. That, that was chapter 1. That was chapter 2. I'm asking you when you go home and you write chapter 5, what are you writing in chapter 5? Don't tell me about chapter. Chapter 1 was sick and chapter 2 was sick and chapter 3 was sick. Tell me about chapter 5. Young people, what are you going to write? And let me ask you this we're talking about today. God's plan is so much bigger and so much better than our plan. Think about what was God's plan for Jonah? Do you think Jonah actually, he would have never, he, he would have never run if he, if, if he would have known God was just going to do this kind of miracle. God has an amazing plan for you. How stupid is it? Jonah wouldn't have run if he knew God was going to do this miracle. Jonah wouldn't have run if he knew God was going to do this miracle. Did I just hear that right? I'm going to back that up. Just going to do this kind of miracle. I'm going to go back a little further. I'm going to go back a little further. Go back a little further. Here, let's listen and see if that's what he actually said. And is so much bigger and so much better than our plan. Think about what was God's plan for Jonah? Do you think Jonah actually he would have never he he would have never run if he if if he would have known God was just going to do this kind of miracle? He would have never run if he knew God was going to do this kind of miracle. So Jonah would not have run. He would have ran, instead of running from Nineveh, he would have ran to Nineveh if he knew God was going to do this. That doesn't make any sense because once the miracle happens, God, Jonah is unhappy. Is he not contradicting the whole book? Jonah, so Jonah ran because he didn't think God would do the miracle and thought that they were going to hurt him and kill him. So he ran out of embarrassment and fear. So it's his story that Jonah ran out of embarrassment and fear. But if he would have known God was going to do this miracle, he would have ran to Nineveh. Well, then that doesn't make any sense because he's upset once the miracle occurs and the revival happens. So that is, did, did he not, is he not completely contradicting the actual message of the book? Jo- Jonah ran from Nineveh because of who? If you, if I'll try to help you a little bit because I want you to answer the question on your own. Nineveh is, is connected to the Assyrians, to Assyria. Maybe he ran and maybe he didn't want them to be delivered because of, I don't know, the Assyrians. I don't know. Maybe you can put that together. Maybe you can figure that out. He just contradicted the entire book. God has an amazing plan for you. How stupid is it to run a single day? But here's why we do it. We don't have God's mind. 
When you get God's mind, you're not going to resist the mission field. You're not going to resist. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to be bold in your school. You're going to pass out tracts. You're going to talk to people about Jesus. You're going to stand up for the sake of the gospel. The, the more you have the heart of God, the further you'll go for the sake of the gospel. Miles don't matter. People's faces don't matter. Let me ask you this, Brother Brown. If we have a couple thousand kids in here, how many of these have the heart of God? How many of these actually have enough of the heart of God? There's no running. Everyone around them knows they're a Christian. Everything else, young people, in your life. We understand one day you're going to stand before God. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to give an account for your Nineveh. God's going to talk to you about your Nineveh. Who did you reach in your Nineveh? And who did you reach in your Nineveh? Once again, the whole like, hey, you're going to stand before God and you're going to have to give an account for the people you won and the people you didn't win. And if you didn't win people, you're going to have to answer to God. Like, it, oh boy. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't even want to get into the, all the theological implications of that. You're, you're right. God has no responsibility in any of the situation, right? God does it. It's your fault. The people in your Nineveh weren't saved because of you, because God couldn't have gotten someone to that Nineveh, because clearly in the book of Jonah, he got the person in Nineveh that he wanted to. So, I, I, I man, I, he's using the book of Jonah and he's contradicting the, he's literally contradicting the very book he supposedly preached from, in his message, because he, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm just baffled here. And we know God told those prophets, I've sent a man, I've made thee a watchman. When I send a word of warning to the wicked, and you don't deliver that mail, their blood is on your hands. Young people, every one of you are going to live an individual life and I think if books were written today, biographies of Christians today, it would be Jonah 35, Jonah 68, Jonah 972, because the majority are running. Chapter 5 is running. Chapter 6 is silence. Chapter 8 is running. Young people, here's what I'm going to ask you tonight, to this morning. We, we don't need to flood the altars. We just need a few really, really, really serious Amen. young people Amen. that would just come up here, Amen. maybe find a friend, maybe find a pastor, maybe find <laughs> See, oh, what a manipulation. Hey, I don't need all of you to come up here. I just need some of you who are really going to prove that you're, because, see, if you walk up here, you're going to prove that you're going to, to be really serious about God. Well, then which young person is not going to want to go up there? Because by not going up there, you're proving that you don't want to be serious with God. So in a roundabout way, it's like reverse psychology. Hey, don't everyone come up here. Only those who are serious come up here. Well, then if you sit there, then you're telling everyone you're not serious. There's so much emotional manipulation in these kinds of churches. It is insanity what we witness happening to young people in churches. No wonder so many young people after church are so traumatized and t tell all of their horror stories and their deconstruction videos of all the things that happened to them when they were in church. Find a leader and say, I want the heart of God. And if I have the heart of God, my life will be about being a bold witness for the sake of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray this morning 
God, you'd help a few here determine chapter 2 and chapter 3 weren't pretty, but chapter 5 is going to be totally different. Chapter 1, I was not doing what God has asked me to do. I've lived a privileged life, but I have not surrendered and done what God has told me to do. May a few here today say, I'm going to write chapter 5 and chapter 6 with the heart of God in my heart. In Jesus' name. It's just amazing. You can go through the entire book of Jonah, completely rip, place us in the story, almost throwing Jonah out. Just use Jonah just to talk about ourselves. You completely ignore the ultimate question in Jonah. Why did he run? Why did he flee from, why did he go the opposite direction? Why did he try to go to, uh, uh, see, why did he uh, flee unto Tarshish? Why did he flee unto Tarshish? Um, and to try to get away instead of going to Nineveh. Why did he not want the, uh, those in Nineveh to repent? Why was he upset that they repented? That's the big question. Why, 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 why? He doesn't even, an- he goes through the book of Jonah, doesn't even answer the actual question the text brings. For- the, qu- the, the text is not here going, hey, are you witnessing? Hey, are you, are you witnessing to people? That's not the question brought up in the text. The question that the reader is supposed to figure out is what's up with Jonah? Why does he go the opposite direction? Why is he so upset? Said, why is he so angry? Why is he so depressed? What is it with the Ninevites and Jonah? What's the issue? He, he ignores that. Then he makes some bizarre statement that Jonah would not have run if he would have known the miracle, which makes no sense because Jonah sees the miracle and still upset. He completely contradicts the entire book of Jonah, and yet he never answers the actual question. So he gives young people basically a guilt trip. Um, but ignores the actual book that he's preaching from. So here's what I would say. Jonah is a book about an individual who had some serious issues with those who lived in Nineveh. Nineveh seems to be associated with Assyria. So why would Jonah have such an issue with the Assyrians? Why would he be so not wanting to see them repent? not want to see see them delivered, and be upset. What is that with the Assyrians and Jonah? So what do you know about Jonah that would possibly make him so upset about the, Ninev- the uh, Assyrians or the Ninevites being delivered? Figure that out today, and then you'll actually do meaningful study of the Bible instead of what we just heard, which completely ignored the actual text. That's where he had an idea. I'm going to, I'm going to, in a sense, place some guilt on these young people for not being a good witness, and I'm just going to use the book of Jonah, and I'm just going to impose my ideas on the book instead of actually preaching the book. There you go. You can contact me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Wow. These sermons at this youth conference, they, they get worse and worse and worse. They really do. And uh, well, you can tell me what you think. Newsif at yahoo.com. But we're already over an hour, so I will spare you any more of my thoughts or my frustrations, but I do hope to hear yours. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless. <music>